Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply post to feature innovation. I'm your co-host, Patrick Bailey. And I'm your other co-host, Allie Martin. And before we dive into our podcast for today, we yes. have an important PSA. This is a PSA. So anyone who may listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts, they have changed their user experience and their user interface a little bit. So rather than subscribing, there is a new way that you you are now following. So rather than subscribing, you are now following. And at the top of every podcast, there's a little plus sign. So if you go and you click that plus sign, that will then allow for the automatic downloads of whatever podcast that you enjoy listening to. And we hope that that podcast, our podcast is one of those podcasts, but we know that we're also not the only ones talking about this right now. It's kind of messed with everybody's algorithms and downloads and, and stats and facts and figures. So we really, really appreciate that if, if you just do a, a double a double take. Do us a little see, favor, please. Just do us a little favor and just see if that plus sign is clicked for automatic downloads because it goes a long way for us. Yes. And now with that, uh, today we are talking with Vanitha of Perceive Now. Perceive Now is a relatively new startup that allows for, you know, corporations, researchers, individuals discover and connect with disruptive research technologies and other experts in the field. You know, at first when I was reading this, I was like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> are we like they had no clue no clue this is so, so this is beyond our <laughs> our expertise so i'm excited to learn understand the you know research industry a little bit more and mm-hmm. why this is such a problem but you know for today's fun fact or history nugget it actually brought up uc has a very long history of being a research institute here in the tri-state so yeah. you know some of the things that were researched and first found there was the first oral polio vaccine by uh, Dr. Albert Saban. So uh, speaking of just coming out of a pandemic, the oral vaccine for polio was found here. The first heart and lung machine was uh, founded there due to research. And the first medical laser lab uh, by a a dermatology professor was also founded there in 1961. So research at UC is big. And I think Vanitha is going to be one of those people that helps disrupt that industry. Disrupted, and what I'm the most excited about is to learn how she's taking this research and this data and how it's actually being applied mm. in the business world, right? Yeah. So you can have all of these articles, these scholarly articles <laughs> to read, but what are you doing with them? And I think she'll be able to help us out with that. She has the perfect background for this. She's been yes. involved uh, as president of the Entrepreneurship Club there at UC. She is getting her PhD in biomedical engineering and electrical yeah. engineering. So she knows how to speak business and engineering and research. So with that, let's bring her in and learn more about Perceive Now. So just start off. Go ahead and give us an overview of what is Perceive Now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you guys so much for this opportunity. It's really exciting to get the word out about Perceive Now. So I'll begin by saying, um, introducing myself. I'm Vinita. I'm uh, doing my uh, PhD in biomedical and electrical engineering at the University of Cincinnati. I'm also the founder and director of Perceive Now. We are an AI-based uh, B2B SaaS platform, allowing industries to get the highest quality 
quality and clarity into the existing R&D trends, um, uh, their competitive landscape, their funding landscape, connection, connecting to experts to in order to expedite their collaboration and commercialization processes, and uh, also giving them actionable insights on who are the current existing competitors and academic R&D professors and researchers who could possibly who they could possibly acquire and merge with. So that is the overall overview of the platform. What we are uh, striving to solve is that right now, uh, this is, uh, again, my very personal experience as a researcher myself, too, and that's where it started. We um, spend like hours and sometimes weeks and months trying to do literature discovery, innovation mm. discovery about what is out there right now and how we can improve on that, uh, who we can collaborate with or how we can make the existing technology better in order for us to mm. continuously innovate. But what usually ends up happening is that uh, we are just using platforms like Google Scholar or uh, just starting with basic Google search till other search engines meant for scholarly articles and patents. We just keep uh, searching and searching and searching. We keep spending weeks and months. And then in the end, we just end up getting a humongous amount of results. But Mm. we'll still have to perform hours of manual extraction even to know answers to very simple questions like, say, who are the top three um, companies working on COVID-19 diagnostics today? It might Mm. look like a simple Google search, but we can never have a complete exhaustive result from all the existing sources out there. So that's the problem we are trying to solve. So what is just to help Ali and I understand this because this is not our realm. So what, (laughs) what brings someone to the point of wanting to research the research (laughs) and, you know, figure out like the whole landscape. Yeah, we all know that innovation is sort of like continuous innovation is always the, you know, sort of like a mantra for all technology companies. Mm. They have to keep innovating over and over Mm -hmm. again. They can't just be like, okay, we're done now. We're just going to look at these products and stop there. So what happens is that that being the basic requirement for all tech companies, there are always R&D scientists, product developers, and even entrepreneurs themselves who are constantly trying to understand and, uh, what their what their competitors are doing right now? What is the more than even competitors? What is the newest innovation in their field right now today? But the problem that they keep going into or running into is that there are like millions and millions of scholarly articles and. Uh, there are like hundreds of patents that are getting published every single day Mm. in just a particular industry or an area that they are focusing on. So if you're only going to rely on manual reading process and trying Mm -hmm. to extract the data from that, it takes them several hours. And even after that, they will still not have have gone through an exhaustive uh, list of all the resources that are available. So just think about a very simple scenario where uh, a company is looking to file a patent. Before mm-hmm. they file the patent, they need to make sure that they are the most unique and they have the ability to file the patent for the design that they have developed. Now, how they do this with, with the lawyers and with everybody, in, even internally, is that they do a prior art search. What is all mm. the existing technology that or innovations in this field? How can we distinguish ourselves? How can we start claiming new uh, design requirements or, dis- or implementation processes in our in the design that they've developed 
So this process is usually sort of a guesswork. Of course, there are experts in the particular field who sit Mm -hmm. down and scour through all of these resources and figure out, okay, this is what we've come up with. This is a physical report. There are consulting companies which do this. So they do this. But at the end of the day, nobody is 100% sure. Even the patenting officer who himself would approve this can only go back to a certain extent and do a search and say, Mm -hmm. okay, this is the this is all the resources that's out there we are doing a comparison now you're approved so there's a lot of loopholes there's a lot of time that gets spent on and they go back to being rejected just because they lost one source which was similar to uh, Mm. the design that they have developed why would a researcher like yourself who isn't Mm -hmm. really working for a corporation that is trying to constantly innovate and why would i guess a researcher want to use you versus i guess you know going to the university who probably has resources to do this Yes, so that's a great question. So when you uh, have these uh, small and medium scale companies, any biotech companies, I'll take biotech as an example, because I'm a biomedical engineer, and the uh, general biotech space requires a really huge R&D intensive and has a demand for R&D intensive work. So I'll just take that as an example. And I'll say, in this universities, even within universities and even within industries, when uh, there is a dedicated team working on figuring out all of these processes all the time and in the most updated manner, it's probably a little bit easier. But if you look at medium and small scale companies, and even with those kind of resources, uh, for example, I'll take one of our clients, Ascentage Pharma, they have their entire uh, company's goal is to help other biotech companies go through the entire company commercialization process from the beginning till the Mm. end. So they have a team doing this process, but how much time they're spending to do this is probably a hundred times more than what they would uh, spend with our platform because we're giving these details directly to them. They just have to Mm. type the keyword. We give them the direct answers to questions like who are the current competitors with the maximum number of patents or publications or funding right now? Who are the federal and non-federal agencies which are funding your area of research right now? What are your potential collaboration opportunities? So all of these questions that they are constantly trying to look out mm-hmm. for, we are trying to give them in, a, in one shot on a single dashboard. I guess in the same vein, why go to you guys versus going to like a patent attorney? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. And is that just one piece of everything that someone e- might be looking up, right? Because it's, it's a wide range. It's not just patents. Yes, uh, that's a, yeah, absolutely right. So what Ali said was uh, is precisely what I was going to say as well. The, that was just one use case, doing a, a patent attorney, going through to them. Definitely we need a patent attorney to uh, do the legal processes. There's no uh, replacing that. But our platform provides extensive a- actionable analytics to the companies on all of these four major sections, starting with competition till uh, funding analysis. So how are you all capable of bringing this information together, right? Like you said, you could do a simple Google search, but you're only, you're only going to be funneling certain pieces of research and content. Mm-hmm. How are you managing to bring this all together? 
So we have a partnership with uh, four different data sources. Mm. Uh, these are uh, third-party uh, data sources who literally feed us directly the scholarly articles and patents that we are analyzing. So these are uh, these basically all of our data sources are somewhere around uh, 300 million scholarly articles, patents, experts' profiles, organizational profiles, etc., which is derived directly from the data partners and these information are 100% validated and vetted by the uh, data partners who are giving us access to this data and they and we also use only scholarly articles and patents which again adds the uh, second layer of credibility of all the analytics that we are uh, providing on our platform. So is this more like a, a web scraping tool or is this more like an AI algorithm that's happens to like scrape all this information too? So we do web scraping at the back end, but from the user standpoint, all that they will be able to see is that the final end result of all the visualized graphs and analytics based off of the keywords that they are giving us. But yes, we do use our own web, web scraping method and we apply uh, different layers of um, AI algorithm and use our proprietary scoring techniques to methodically extract a certain set of uh, papers and patents, which are very commercializable and relevant to the keywords that the industries are giving us. So we uh, do both of these at our backend and uh, provide just the results to the user. And what are the top industries that you're seeing this data um, being applied to? Our platform itself is technology agnostic. We, all of our 300 million uh, sources of uh, articles cover all the seven um, uh, sectors of R&D, manufacturing industries in USA. Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, biotech, pharmaceuticals, and medical device uh, companies definitely have the highest demand for a platform like this because they, for very obvious reasons, uh, cannot afford any mistakes. Second of all, they have the highest uh, demand for understanding what the current innovation is in a given pharmaceutical or biotech industry, which is which is usually one of the most technical intensive area. And there's a mm. lot and lot to even give you the uh, exact number. There are around 1,500 scholarly articles and 50 patents that are getting published every day just in uh, pharmaceuticals and uh, diagnostic devices. Mm. So no one human being or even a team of people can sit down and cover through all of them and say, hey, OK, so um, we went through all all of this today and this is what we extracted that requires heavy heavy resources and um, at the end of the day that might still not be enough that's uh, to say the least I would say I'm just kind of surprised this is something that's now coming around you know I was why, just about to why say is that. this taking why is this taking so long because <laughs> this is not the first time I'm hearing that comment for yeah, sure what, what is it? What's, what's the deal <laughs> so yeah that's a good question I'll, I can expand on that a little so what generally happens is that right now, how 
industries are solving this problem. I'll start with that to give you more perspective. The publishers like Elsevier or Springer who own these uh, scholarly articles, they require uh, the users to have subscription to their journals in order to read the paper or to read the full paper. Mm-hmm. That is their entire model for publishers, of course. Um, and what they do is that these industries have subscription to a set of journals which they think is relevant for them and do the manual reading process or extraction process. Uh, We do that, we even do the same thing in universities as well. So it's very similar with the industries. So that process is very limiting in the sense that if you require, if you or if you want to read even one paper that is not falling under the subscription services, you will be paying a minimum of $70 to $100 for accessing one paper. Oh that and is, you, and you're not even sure if that's going to be applicable wow. as well. Absolutely. And or you can only read the abstract and then you can decide if you want to read the full paper. Of course, the abstract will be free, yeah. but that, then that doesn't give you a lot and, of information. Yeah, you're hook and sinker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> precisely. So um, there has been a lot of open access, closed access, you know, war that has been going on in this scholarly articles and the research area for decades now. And a lot of people are pushing towards open access. What that that means is um, mm. this is science. Science and uh, the the results of scientific achievements should be made public to everybody, like patents are, and it should not be owned by a set of people who only have access to them. So this war had been going on for a pretty long time. So going back to the question you asked, why mm. this does not exist? One is uh, industries cannot keep paying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in subscription every year and getting access to only to a certain set of papers. And that amount is also close to a minimum of $100,000 for a given area of uh, journals that you want to access. Definitely industries cannot do that. Second of all, even if they do that, you cannot imagine having just a team of data analysts sitting down and pulling these data and doing mm-hmm. the analysis and providing the results. It's a very time consuming process if you don't have a completely separate company doing this for you, for sure. That is the second limitation. The third limitation is, of course, uh, very large companies like PNGs and Pfizer's of the world do have their own in-house data analysts who might be pulling the data, doing this process. But how consistent are they with the uh, universal models and how many data are they missing out? How do they know that the data that they're scraping is completely exhaustive? Uh, there could be something in, a, in another journal that they have completely missed out on because they don't have subscription to. These are usually the limitations. And And um, uh, we've also been victims of not having a platform like this since a very long time. And this was one of the biggest motivating factor for me to even start this. What was out there in terms of competition, right? Like besides obviously what you mentioned, just like going through and kind of reading the abstracts and stuff like that. What like what is the competition for this, you know, I guess industry look like? Yes, absolutely. So uh, I would say there are two types of competition, or I would say three. The first one is what I just described, uh, Google Scholar, search engines. Uh, we have paid search engines mm. for scholarly articles. Of course, patents are free, uh, but then, you know, the totally depends on how much time you want to spend on reading all of those. So these are search engines. The second type of competition are there are a couple of other platforms called a Linknovate or something like a Mergeflow. So these platforms, 
sort of try to do what we are trying to do. But what the problem there is that they are providing data analytics. So say if you type the keyword COVID-19, they will tell you uh, how many publications or papers have been published under the keyword COVID-19. They will tell you how many patents have been published under with the keyword COVID-19. But no or none of the existing platforms can tell you, me as a user from Pfizer, where do I stand in the number of articles published and patents that I've published as opposed to Moderna or uh, CureVac or Inovio, who are my top competitors right now, who are the inventors that they are working with and who are the experts in the field. None of these other other platforms are doing a, a very a focused and user prioritized competitive landscape or funding analysis. They give you some very basic analytics that I just specified without going into very deep information you can call you can sort of consider that like a glorified version of Google Trends. If you subscribe for getting alerts from Google Trends for a given keyword, you would be getting them, but it's not actually useful uh, or very customized to you or for the user. Uh, the third uh, form of competitions are usually consulting companies, which do this as a full-time job with a set of experts who sit down and do prior art search or do uh, competitive landscape analysis and etc. They have their own human resources who are sitting down and doing this process and getting back to the companies. So the, I would say these three are the existing ways with which companies are doing. But interestingly, during our interviews, during our customer interviews, when we spoke with all of our customers to understand what is the current process, they at least 60 to 70 percentage of them, they said they just go through their alumni. So uh, they go through tech expos where they just fly in and uh, try to meet different universities or different companies to understand what's going on. One of the clients from even 8451, the CSO of 8451 is one of our beta users. Uh, we have around mm. 10 beta users yeah. from the company and they very clearly specified right now they have their team of members sitting down and manually reading the papers and understanding what is going on. Wow. Because no matter how much you employ external resources, the burden comes down on the company to understand or personalize that to their needs, mm -hmm. which is where we come in and we say, tell us which company you are. We our AI can pull out all the data that is surrounding your company's competitive landscape and funding uh, scenarios and experts and give that to you within a matter of seconds instead of you having to sit down and extract all that data. So again, this might be actually a very basic question, right? So the actual user platform itself, you know, if, I, if you're, if, let's say P&G or any of those that you just mentioned are clients, mm -hmm. what does that look like on my end? Is it is this platform used via a search engine or is this contacting you guys directly? What does that look like? Yeah, so we basically have a dashboard and it's it's similar to using a search engine in the sense uh, when you uh, initially start using it, all the information that we will need from you uh, is a set of keywords that you're interested in, uh, which organization that you belong to. Um, mm -hmm. And if you have other users with whom you would like to share the data and have collaboration within your team. So uh, these are the three information that we most definitely need from the user. And mm -hmm. all they will have to do is type in the keyword that they are interested in and immediately get information like uh, who are the 
top three competitors as of today who have mm. the most relevant set of publications, patents, and f- most am- amount of funding? Who are the uh, top 10 experts and uh, key opinion leaders in your area today who you could collaborate with or have hourly consultation mm. with or contact for any other reason at all? So these are very, you know, very quick information that we give them. Having said that, we also allow the users to select or filter based off of different criteria they want to see the analytics on. Say, for example, there are different types of scholarly articles. There are applied research, there are theoretical papers, there are Mm -hmm. uh, clinical trials and case studies. So the users can filter any of these categories of papers and see the analytics only on them. I want to know who are the top five inventors, the latest inventors Mm. who published uh, clinical trials on COVID-19 vaccine. They will be able to filter the information from our uh, uh, platform and get the information immediately as they keep using it. Do you see, is it pretty much always businesses and companies utilizing your sources or do you ever see individuals? Yeah, so we do have, uh, when we were doing our customer interviews, we've had interest from several verticals. So definitely university professors, university research offices, and anybody in the university pipeline looking for attracting industries to collaborate with them. That was one set of uh, customer segment that we had. The second interesting customer segments were, uh, we were, when we were speaking with a lot of mentors, they were angel investors and VCs themselves. And, Mm. uh, but they were, they were not uh, 100% tech technology savvy. So they needed insights on if they were going to invest in a company, how the technology is performing mm-hmm. around that, especially in uh, extreme biotech, like cancer diagnosis or yeah. cancer therapy mm-hmm. or anything extremely complicated. They are non-technical investors, but they would like to know what's happening in the competitive field. So they were the second set of customers, I would say. And third, of course, individual innovators and uh, and freelancers and uh, contractors who are wanting to provide these services to other companies. So if they're working as a contractor with a company who's asking them to work on a particular task related to developing a, a certain module, uh, then they would like to understand if what they're doing is 100% innovative mm. or are there papers out there which they can refer to and see how they can improve upon that. So this brings up the next question, how much traction, like tell us about the traction you have to date. Yes, absolutely. So, so far we've done somewhere around um, 70 to 80 uh, customer interviews for our product market validation. We graduated from Founders Institute Chicago Accelerator um, in February and uh, was able to raise around uh, $8,000 uh, in grant money for developing our initial prototypes and wireframe. We are currently developing our MVP and have onboarded 10 beta testers for the mm. uh, finished uh, product from 8451 um, and a few other biotech companies as well. So we're planning to launch the MVP in September uh, once we have the full platform. Uh, But we are working very closely with our uh, pilot partners or the beta testers we've onboarded to sort of have a back and forth feedback from them on the exact type of analytics they will be able to see so that we can make sure that we are the value that we're providing is 100% useful for them and not... Uh, you know, surprising them in the end. That usually brings up a question (laughs) for me, just having been in this space. What, um, I guess, what is preventing you from just launching like tomorrow or today, for example, right? 
Yes, yes, that's a, a, a precisely like a, a building on what I was just saying. Uh, we could have done that, but the general problem with that is, as you know, we have exceptionally large volumes of data to analyze and mm. provide the results. Yeah. So, if that is the case, then the limitations come from the perspective of having a really large cloud storage space or the speed mm. of analysis. So, mm. if we can limit or understand what exactly exact type of analytics are the most useful for our beta test for for our beta customers then uh, we get an idea of what we can expand on as you know nice to have features for the future but not so much for the mvp so i would say the mvp for us is trying to make sure we are providing the value across several different customers with the similar set of analytics otherwise with the added criteria of customization on the platform we might run into the issue of of the whole platform um, not functioning fast enough or uh, taking too long for the analysis to perform. And you also mentioned you've gone through roughly 70 to 80 customer interviews. Talk about that a little more. Why the Mm -hmm. interview process? What are you looking for? I would say even before we built the product um, uh, with the help of uh, UC Venture Lab here or even Founders Institute Chicago Accelerator, the most important part uh, was ensuring and uh, definitely making sure there is product market fit. And we are not, you know, developing something the customers will finally say, yeah, it's a technology marvel, but we don't want to use it. So that is the biggest problem that as SaaS platform uh, founders everybody goes through because it is definitely compared to a device-based company we are definitely at an advantage where we can iterate much faster as a SaaS platform but at the end of the day if there is a heavy computational efforts on our end we want to make sure that the exact type of analytics that we are providing to the customers is useful to them so the product market fit interviews were done based on the uh, lean business model canvas criteria where we have a set of interview questions questions and we asked it to the customers without revealing uh, what our product is so that there is no bias Mm. and making sure that uh, we are solving a pain point for them or what kind of gain are we creating for them through our platform. So that was a very, very, in fact, the most helpful part of the entire journey because otherwise we would be developing a platform fully blindsided and be like, we spent months developing this and now it's actually not useful to the Uh, to the customers. So building on that, after we were able to establish the product market fit, um, it was very interesting even from uh, asking questions to to our customers like, how much do you think you'd be willing to pay for this platform? How much are you spending right now for solving this platform? Uh, What do you think would you love to see the most um, if you had a, a solution that can make your life easier on an everyday basis? So these insightful Mm. questions sort of helps us build one of the platforms that is useful rather Mm. than perfect Mm -hmm. because we as founders we have so many ideas going on but picking the ones that (laughs) are the most uh, (laughs) yes uh picking the ones that are the most useful to them that was very helpful you bring up that really great point of you know kind of switching gears i guess now more into the entrepreneurial side it was a great segue there where you you all decided to go with that lean startup route? Why are you going to exhaust your energy to produce something that you're not really sure is going to work? So with that said, 
did you going into this yourself and the team that you're you're working with did you think this did you have a pretty good idea of this is where it was going to go or have you really shifted gears that's a that's a very amusing uh, question actually yeah. because the answer is definitely the second one yeah so oh, actually <laughs> yeah, what did you think so, it originally was going to be yeah so actually when i started i think it's been around uh 20 months or so so when i yeah. started uh the idea that we originally had as uh, co-founders of course we knew the problem existed but we were more focusing on analyzing the uh, uh, papers and uh, mm. the patents but our that was the same but our our product or the service at the front end was going to be more uh, connecting the industries with universities for collaboration mm. purposes. Mm. We weren't having a clarity on the, you know, the four sections that I just specified, the competitive landscape, funding analysis, experts and academic uh, area. So these four clear cut areas of, okay, why are we choosing these four? Because initially uh, before Founders Institute Chicago or even you Venture Lab, we were trying to do industry university relationships based on uh, publications and patents. But as we were going through the process, uh, we were refining the solution and the customers kept talking more about, uh, yes, we would like to have university relationships, but what's more useful for us is to know who, what our competitors are up to because mm. in um, their own industry. Exactly. So mm. that, that sort of totally pivoted our idea. Okay. I mean, so then we have to rethink the entire set of analytics and the visualization process in the front end for customizing it towards competitive landscape and funding mm. analysis rather than saying, okay, um, you know, just focusing on university relationships. So it was a huge pivot point for us. And I would say more than pivot pivoting, the process really helped us be very, very clear. And, mm. you know, uh, I, I sort of always say this to my co-founders, it helped mm -hmm. us move from confidence to clarity because we were confident that, you know, our platform was going to be really useful. But having the clarity that, you know, this is exactly what the users want mm. rather than just being confident about, okay, uh, this is a problem that's very prevalent, uh, but is our solution really going to solve it or are we getting backfired or blindsided by something that we don't know? So clarity, yeah, you know, once we got it. the clarity, then uh, the confidence was actually more of not necessary. This was more like, uh, you know, you don't need confidence to lift up a glass of water. So we already <laughs> now know, right? We have that clarity now. So yes, that's what that really helped us achieve that. I'm glad Ali asked more about like the entrepreneurial side of things because uh, Vanitha, your background is in research and <laughs> yeah. you're going for your PhD. What was that like spark that you were like, you know what, I'm going to do this and make a business out of this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So um, there isn't one single incident uh, regarding that. I would say uh, my uh, parents have uh, a business themselves. I was always, um, I'm a single daughter and I was, or raised by two uh, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. themselves. So it's sort of ingrained in me. But at the same time, I was definitely uh, more inclined towards scientific research as well. But what I realized, uh, I mean, of course, I've, after I came to uh, US, when I moved from India, I realized that this problem that I'm going through was just creating a, a huge ripple effect in the innovation and R&D area, which, is, which can actually be solved easily. So my transition was more of, 
of trying to solve my personal problem uh, very, very, I've worked with several companies. Um, all of my projects were funded by industries. And um, uh, mm. since I'm a biomedical engineer by organizations like CDC, who have very strict deadlines and timelines. So mm. I've had to do this myself. And then I was always interested in entrepreneurship when I came here. I was the founder and president of um, uh, the Techno Mentorship Establishment um, Entrepreneurship Related Student Organization here in UC for about five years now. I'm currently the president of UC's Entrepreneurship Club. So I've always had the proclivity towards it, but never had you know this idea that I really wanted to solve. But once I was able to identify that, and I think it uh, sort of became like a personal passion, like I, I really want to solve this problem. So yes, and uh, yeah, and uh, one other aspect of that is finding really great co-founders. I guess yeah. uh, I'm, um, uh, I, I should definitely say one of, have one of the best founding team who have a really good uh, rapport with each other. I think we all formed into a, a, a solid team only after the pandemic started. So technically, until now, none of us have been in the same room and we still oh, have managed to. Yes. So because my, my CTO is living in uh, California and my my other co-founders are here. But uh, because when pandemic started, uh, they were all not here. And for several months, mm. we all were. I think even now, until this moment, it has always been online for a long time. So despite that, having the rapport with the founding team members and being being able to communicate without any communication gap or being lost Getting in translation. Page, so. yeah. <laughs> How did you meet your co-founders? One of the co-founders I met uh, because of the networking events here at UC, he was um, the treasurer for the uh, techno mentorship establishment. And then right now, the treasurer for Entrepreneurship Club with me. So it was a pretty easy connection. And the other one I actually interestingly met on Lunch Club. He is my CTO. I actually <laughs> met him in Lunch Club um, several months ago. And we sort of like clicked immediately. Um, his name is Justin. He's working in Apple. And it was a very, uh, I think that after that, it probably Probably one of the best things that happened to me through Lunch Club is meeting uh, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> so this is okay. So let's say someone is in your boat, right? They've discovered this problem. They they know that they want to move into the category of becoming an entrepreneur and building something, but they also know that they need other help and they need people to come along for the ride. What advice do you have to give to someone who might say, I don't know where to begin. How do I find these people that I know that I, I want to partner with and I want to trust, but that we can all be on the same page and have the same vision? Yeah, I mean, that's a very relevant question to me uh, because uh, the reason why I uh, founded the uh, student organization here at UC was precisely that. Uh, of mm. course, I had a lot of um, uh, help from great advisors and professors here from uh, a UC Business School. But I would say for even from my personal experience, uh, the question that you just asked does not have one solution. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is try to, uh, once, once as a founder, they are very fixated on the problem that they're trying to solve. The problem that I've seen all of the student entrepreneurs here at UC go through, and I, I've mentored several startup teams here through, the plat through our organization, and what I've seen is that being really uh, fixated about finding co-founders who are very 
very similar in thought process. What I would say is look for co-founders who are different, but working towards a unified goal because yeah, as vision. founders, um, and I think uh, I, I, one of the uh, most um, a common quote that I remind myself to is uh, from uh, the CEO of Evernote, Phil. Um, uh, Phil, yes. Uh, so uh-huh. he, he, uh, he, he very clearly says, you know, once you're a founder, you are literally at the mercy of everybody else people may glorify that as you know uh, you're an entrepreneur you are you know building a platform Mm -hmm. yes that might all happen in the future at some point but until then we are completely at the mercy of a lot of different people so I think the biggest biggest attitude change that as uh, initial or early stage founders we need to have is being adaptable and flexible Mm -hmm. and being able to have a, a rapid with many different kinds of people rather than looking for people who are very similar to us. So I would say from that perspective, yes, there are certain factors you cannot give up on. You cannot compromise and say, you know, okay, this will not work. But we need to keep that at the most flexible way possible and, you know, try to work with everybody and empower um, the other other founding founders as well Mm. to bring the best out in them instead of you know just trying to be very fixated on what we think and imagine and well that's where when egos get involved right and and, and like you said nothing is nothing has really been fully launched and and you're not at that level yet to to say hey we have x amount of employees under us at this point in time yeah yeah it just reminds me of a very funny incident actually once happened my uh so one of my co-founders his name is Kira uh, he's in Cincinnati. We met through the Entrepreneurship Club organization. So there was a time when we had a list of uh, mentors who we were going to onboard as board of advisors. We have around six board of advisors. Um, and um, we had a list. And as I was saying, we were not meeting each other. And I had mm. shortlisted a person uh, after looking at all of their qualifications. And I had just sent that to Kiran and said, hey, why don't you look at it and give me your recommendations? It was so surprising that we both arrived at the same person. Person, uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know. And it was a very long list of people with so many different uh, choices of background. But I mean, at that point, it was like so clear that we both have a unified vision towards what yeah. we are trying to achieve and be on the same page. So um, I, I even said this to the board of advisor and he was like, OK, now that's more of a reason I should be on your board <laughs> because both of you arrived at the same <laughs> exact that's person. Awesome. So, yeah, so I, I guess that. uh, that's that's very important to have that rapport with the team. Now, and as an entrepreneur right now, you know, and launching this, what has been the biggest challenge for you thus far as an individual? Yes. Uh, so I would say initially, before I was able to get to the point of clarity, having other founding team members in the entire group, usually uh, it might sound, uh, you know, um, at any point, of course, it's always better to work in a team. I'm I'm never going to negate that. But as Mm -hmm. a founder, who's a person who initially came up with the idea, when I am trying to work with people without me myself having the clarity that I have right now, it causes a lot Mm. of different, um, Mm. you know, friction and uh, people get uh, easily misdirected and they are on totally different path from what you're imagining uh, them to be on. Like you said, from the beginning, you're still even figuring out what that path is because you switched gears. You thought you were going to be working more with universities and next thing you know, you're working more B2B 
trying to help companies figure out what their competitors are doing. Absolutely. So early on, when we have found co-founders, with when we are not having a, a, a certain level of clarity that we have right now, they get, uh, you know, sort of frustrated or they get very, I would say. Are they are they looking for guidance? Yeah. Are they looking yes, for they, guidance from you? And, and, and you're even saying, hey, guys, you know, I hear you, but I'm still figuring this out myself. That's why you're, <laughs> we're all here right now. Exactly. <laughs> And maybe that's yeah, not the you, answer you that they wanted. You literally uh, stole the words from my mouth. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. So <laughs> it is literally that, and that's where it's very frustrating for even mm. us. I'm like, so yeah. you, I, and I always say this to a few of my other friends who ask me about you know my entrepreneurship journey that you need to find. Um, you know, a lot of people say you know if you're you should have one, have your friend as your uh, co-founder. It should be it should st- absolutely no problem at all. But just make sure that other friend is also interested in entrepreneurship and not doing it because only because you're asking them Mm. to do it you know like Mm. within friendships there's always a a sort of like a balance it's a fragile balance Mm. of course they're your friends they they like your idea they they definitely want to work with you and this absolutely amazing and there's no nothing wrong about it but when you onboard somebody without realizing what their individual passion is you run into the problem of, you know, later on them saying, you know, that you did not guide them properly because it was mm. your idea to begin with, right? So those were my initial challenges. Yeah, they didn't buy in. And that could definitely hurt the relationship and the company. Exactly, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely been fortunate enough to not run into that problem several times, but I've seen a, a lot of my uh, friends go through it. I'm definitely very happy with the current uh, founders that we have. But when we were initially trying to onboard uh, other members like um, vice president of data science or um, any other roles like these at all in the executive team, uh, they, we definitely kept running into these problems. They really wanted to work bec- with us because of, you know, the the amount of inspiration that I'm providing them as an individual, but not uh, you know, they, they didn't have the inherent passion to be a founder or an entrepreneur. That's a very long and tiring process. Yeah. You don't have any idea when you're going to win or what's the next adventure so, you're literally getting yourself into. And so how do you keep people, how do you keep your spirits up, right? It's long, it's exhausting. You've been at this for quite some time, but then you also have to be there to say, all right, team, here we go. It's pitch time. Like, let's get out. If you're also a cheerleader. How, what <laughs> yes, are some tips yes. that you do to just mentally to, to get your energy up? That reminds me of uh, one of the advice my board of advisors always uh, tells me is that as a founder, you shouldn't be looking for drive because you are the drive for the company. Mm. You can never sit back and say, I need inspiration because you are the inspiration for the rest of the team. So I've ingrained myself, it in, it ingrained in, in within myself to, you know, sort of become this person who does not constantly look at uh, deadlines and milestones and say that's why I'm doing it but have the uh, attitude that if I didn't get anything out of it even if I didn't get a single incentive out of it be it economically or 
or financially or recognition wise or anything mm. at all will i still be doing this every day and yeah. it, that the question the answer to that question is always yes for me i i never got into this because of some incentive that's out there it definitely started out as a personal problem and i want to see innovation happening faster i want to see products being mm. commercialized faster for the end users uh, mm. uh, advantage so there is that always that uh, inner passion and fire that never lets you quench and i guess after a certain point when you are always looking at the rest of the team members who you are able to inspire to the extent where they trust your leadership and uh, your decisions and let you drive their passion and uh, uh, direct them then i guess that's a very huge privilege and once i was able to understand that i have the ability to do it then i guess um, i never hmm. looked back so that kind of leads to my last question. Would you say that is your biggest learning uh, since you started the company? Or would you say is there another learning that key learning that you took away from your experience thus far? That's definitely one of them because that sort of helps me, as I was saying, be the drive instead of, you know, me sitting back and thinking what is inspiring me next. But uh, having said that, I would say one of the other most important key learning is for me to relax and say, I'm not going to beat myself up if I'm not able to say, for example, onboard uh, another five users by the next two or three weeks. If mm. it happens, it Demands. happens. And when it happens, it happens in really, you know, that an unexpected and a really uh, amazing uh, moment for us. But when we're constantly being so hard on myself that I have to finish it, uh, two things happen. One is I'm, I, I'm hasty and I do a lot of mistakes. Second is I'm sort of uh, implicating that on other members as well and it demotivates them and they don't know what to do to get to the goal in that manner. So having goals is very important, but I always tell my members it's more important to have because right now we have the privilege of being slow. We don't, uh, you know, we, we have the privilege of doing mistakes as an early stage company who, who can, you know, do something totally wrong and pivot on that. But we won't have this privilege for a long time, even after our very first um, uh, seed funding round. So that's what I tell them. I tell them, yes, it's very important to have goals, but if just don't be so hard on yourself that you end up doing mistakes just to achieve that goal and totally, uh, you know, uh, overlook all the other things that are happening around that process. So I would say, yes, that has been my key learning. And on that note, I think what talking about seed rounds, and this is a great way to close out, you know, the time that we're recording this right now, you're actually going to be pitching tonight. So from Patrick and I, we wish you the best of luck and we hope to get the update and some good news. Thank you very, very, very much. Yeah, I'm very excited for the GBeta pitch tonight. It's the graduation night for us and there are going to be a lot of investors and mentors. So very excited. And uh, yeah. thank you both of you so much. It was a great conversation and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity as well. Yes, thank, thank you. you. This conversation, admittedly, I was nervous going into because it felt very much like a like an unknown foreign territory to me. And then I would probably say about 10 minutes into the conversation, I had my light bulb moments of, okay, I'm understanding how this works, what is going on mm -hmm. here, and the significance that this type of platform can have and the software can have for companies because 
as we were saying, you know, you could be pulling news articles mm -hmm. or, you know, data from Google or whatever it might look like. But when it comes to scholarly research, that is going to be your most unbiased mm -hmm. material and data and information to utilize for your company or for whatever it is yeah. that you're building. Yeah, no, to, ad admittedly, I was probably in the same boat as you. I think yeah. this would be way <laughs> over my head. Um, but Vanitha did a great job of breaking of down this com a, yeah. a complex like idea into something super simple and tangible. We're amateur hours over here. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully this helps our listeners. But I think I love the fact that there are so many applications, it seems like, for this, right? Yeah. Not only for, for yeah. researchers or for like bio, like companies on a biotech side, but like maybe investors, right? Like looking for new things to invest in, what to validate, you know, the company that they're researching in and look at the competitors. Also, just thinking from like a research standpoint, you know, hey, is there, what are the current bodies of work out there? I want to be different and I want to differentiate myself within research so that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not repeating the same thing and I can get some, you know, maybe more money and do something unique and discover something really cool. I know. And it's great to see that they're partnering right now and working with 8451, mm. which I think is a smart move because they have enough stake in the game and they have enough clientele to mm -hmm. really to be able to dive into the tests and the research that they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and I wonder down the line, you know, are companies like P&G, yeah. would they be interested well, in this? It's a consumer, very consu heavily consumer focused yeah. company, right? And you know, she brought up bio, like biotech for me is just makes the most sense with this. Just like mm -hmm. very like, okay, I guess standard for this, but like a consumer focused company. I went company. straight to consumer. Really? Honestly. Okay. Yeah. Product, products. Yeah. But that, maybe that's just the way my brain works. So yeah, no, it, to me, that was kind of almost a surprise and like, oh yeah, but, that does make sense. But they still go hand in hand though, right? Because she also mentioned manufacturing. So if mm. you're creating a product, you have yeah. to understand what the manufacturing process is going to be. And yeah. so- that's yeah, equipment, da, 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 da. so it, they all go hand in hand. It's yeah. just one piece of the puzzle. What also, switching gears a little bit, I really liked and valued her story of her own entrepreneurial journey. Mm. And specifically, that mindset and the flip of the switch of having to be adaptable. Mm -hmm. I love, she had to have read The Lean Startup. If you're an entrepreneur and you haven't read The Lean Startup yet. By Eric you Rice, R-E-I-S-S. You need to do that. Um, uh, pulling pulling that similar model and entering the space and being smart about it with that type of a focus group, but then also how she's been working with her team and then how mm. she's had to adapt with her team and understand understanding her strengths and her weaknesses. I don't know. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, she <laughs> clearly knows what she is talking about from like a process standpoint, and she's actually enacting it, which is mm -hmm. totally different than most entrepreneurs, right? <laughs> I think some entrepreneurs yeah. just go out there and do it, which is totally fine too, but she's doing a methodical process and I think it's working to her advantage in the sense of- To research background. <laughs> <laughs> right? Before just like launching in and saying, hey, the market wants this, she's actually seeing, yeah. is there a need for it? Which, you know, I really love. And, you know, she does come from that entrepreneur background. Like her parents, she said her parents were super yeah. entrepreneurial and then she was president of the Entrepreneurs Club at University of Cincinnati and then and she yeah. became really research focused in the biomedical side of things. And she realized she saw a problem and she went out to solve it. And she's also getting her PhD, but that's <laughs> just another day, icing right? On, <laughs> icing on the cake. Uh, anyway, I will, uh, we'll have to loop back in with her because her journey really is 
it's already begun, but it's really starting to kick into gear. As we said, they're beginning our pitch, her their pitch night tonight. So we'll have to do a, a follow-up. Yeah, and if you want to reach out to them, go to perceivenow.ai. That's their website. Links to each of the founders' LinkedIn's is there and their contact information. So reach out to them if you have any thoughts. And I know that they're also looking for customers. So if you think <laughs> this would be yeah. useful for you, definitely feel free to reach out to uh, Vanitha and the team. And on that note, Allie, I think it's time. It's time. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync. <laughs>